And it's funny because I was just about to say how that was kind of ominous. He's like, I'm going to take notes. Yeah. And then the first thing I do is, you know, drop this thing. I'll write that down. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's the timing's kind of a funny thing. Um, I was kind of, uh, I guess you could say, kind of boasting at work. I haven't gotten sick in like a year. I'm healthy as a horse. You know, I'm doing scaffolding, construction. I haven't gotten sick in forever. And then, you know, started about Wednesday, Thursday. Oh, no, this tickled my throat. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, Friday, uh, doing this. Uh, uh, no, no tissues around. So, and I got gloves on, covered in splinters, and not going about to wipe my nose. And then, you know, Thursday. And then, you know, or yesterday is probably about the worst. It's getting a little better now. But then I hear, you know, oh, Pastor got sick, and, you know, his whole family got sick. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, well, I definitely can't, you know, bail out now. And then I come to church this morning, the pastor's all scruffy looking. Definitely can't tell him no now. You know, usually pastor just kind of laughs and like, <laughs> like, no, Billy, you're not going to quit on me. But now it's, you know, with the beard, it's a little extra intimidating. So, so, but God is wiser than us. So he knows um, what that's for. But, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's funny because um, the last time I preached, I was like, whoa, glad that's over. And it, but I knew, you know, like, once it happens once, it's going to happen again. And so I've been rummaging through my mind, well, just thinking over my mind, I think we all do, you know, about different messages that we hear, things that stand out. And so a pastor asked me a couple of weeks ago, last time he gave me more time, but this time it was just a couple of weeks. And he said, like, I'd like you to preach on the 13th. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> It was, it was more like, in my head, it was like, yes, I'll do it. Oh, yeah, no problem. Oh, no, no problem. But I do appreciate it, uh, Pastor. Um, um, yeah, it, it means a lot because I know it's, it's a big responsibility. When you stand up here and you got all these eyes looking at you, and there's people that have been in church longer than I've been alive, so it's like, you better not say anything, you know, silly. But... Also, there's people that have been in church, you know, just a handful of years. And you better not mess up in front of them either. Yeah. Because it's very important that you help guide them in the right direction. Um, what, for, with this sermon, I guess it, it feels awkward saying I have a sermon. Um, but with this message, what, God, what I felt God wants me to preach on or share with, it the thing that's been mostly on my mind is about testimony, testimony. But also, what is the big thing that affects your testimony? That is temptation. Your testimony is always is under constant attack by temptation and whether or not you fail to that temptation. <clears throat> um, and that is just something that's always on my mind. And sometimes you fail to it, sometimes you don't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing. And I can tell by your faces that you deal with it too. Um, but first of all, let's pray, and then we'll get into it, all right? Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. I pray that um, only your words will be spoken, Lord, that you will bless us here tonight, bless, uh, bless uh, my speaking, my, my thoughts, um, what I prepare for today, Lord. I just pray that you will uh, bless this time that we have together, Lord, and just be with us throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So. I'd like to start off with a story. 
How many, how many of you know about The Telltale Heart oh, yeah. by Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah. It's kind of a creepy story. It is. But I feel like it applies very well. Uh, if you don't know the story, it's about this man. It starts off, he's very confident in his sanity. But it's a story about how he just murdered someone. And why did he murder this person? Because he had a creepy eye, basically. They had a pale blue eye with a film over it like a vulture. And he says, I got no problem with the, with the old man. I loved him, in fact. But that eye was just, I couldn't stand it. And so he murders him. And the story's about how he, every night, for about a week, he just steps into the door. And just about, takes him about an hour just to poke his head through. And it's just describing how cunning and wise he is that he's taken so slow. And the old man has no idea. I'm just poking my head through. Every night, I'm right here. And he doesn't know. I turn my lantern off. And then the night goes, I step back. And then the next morning, I come in with boldness and courageous sleep. Speak to him about like, oh, how's your sleep? Is like, you know, great weather today, huh? <laughs> and, you know, he does that for about a week until the eighth day. He comes back and he finally steps, his, steps in and he turns the lantern on. But all of a sudden, the old man makes groans and he makes a sound. And he's like, he turns off the lantern. And he almost got caught. And he says he stayed there what felt for hours. Because he doesn't think, I don't think the old man's back to sleep again. Kind of reminds me when I was little, I'll sneak around the house at night when I shouldn't. <laughs> it's like, I'm pretty sure my dad's around the corner. Yeah. I better hold still and not even breathe. Because he might catch me. So he just stays there overnight until he finally thinks the old man has either gone back to sleep or he's just kind of given up. And he turns that lantern on and he falls in that pale blue eye. And he's like, I can't stand it. And just this tension just builds up. And he thinks, like, I can hear his, his heartbeat just ticking, 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 and getting louder, louder, louder. And finally, he's, oh, his old man shrieks when the light hits his eye. He bounces. The deed is done. And so, again, still, still feeling pretty confident about himself. He chops up the body. You know, it's a pretty morbid story. He chops up the body. He buries it under the floorboards. And... He's like, that's, you know, a, a good, day, good day's work. And, but then there's a knocking at the door. It's the police. The neighbors complained about a shriek. And they come in, and he feels pretty confident still, and he's like, yeah, come in. There's a shriek. I was dreaming. I had a bad dream, you know. Oh, man, he's out of town. Here, sit, sit. He said, I feel so confident. It's, and it says he's so, such audacity in his confidence that he set his own chair on top of where he buried the old man. And I couldn't help but think about how confident I get in my own sin. I bury it right here and I set my seat right here. Yeah. Let's chat. And I'm just sitting on that sin, just stewing. And I'm sitting in service listening to Pastor preach, and it's just sitting on that. It's like, <laughs> don't, you know, don't slide out from under there. But as they have that conversation, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. He just hears that heartbeat getting louder, louder. And these guys have no idea because he's just been chatting with them. I mean, why should they think he's gonna, he murdered somebody? And he said to himself, he had no problem with the old man. And so finally, he just, that tension, he just can't take it. And their smiles that were once comforting because it meant they didn't suspect him. Now it means they're mocking me. They can hear it too. They hear that heartbeat too. And it's all in his head. And it just, the story just, is such a great example of guilt and how it can consume you and how the smiling faces around you become the very 
condemnation of your sin and that act of you that you that you're hiding in your heart. For our first uh, scripture today, I'd like to, you to turn to Joshua chapter seven. Joshua chapter seven. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of Achan. So, this is taking place right after the Battle of Jericho, right? Now, this is the first city that the children of Israel have taken in the Promised Land. Up to this point, everything has been either south of the mountains of the Promised Land or on the east side of the River Jordan. But this is the first city in the, actual, in the Promised Land proper, in the land of Canaan, that they've taken. And we read in verse, chapter, in verse 1, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. All right? Now, with this, after this battle against Jericho, they're going to a city called Ai. And they sent their spies. And at this point, you know, things are going great. God has said he's going to give us the land. And we just took down the city of Jericho without lifting a finger, just marching around. And God did it. So Ai, it's like they say, he's like, oh, this city's tiny. It's like, Josh, don't send to everybody. It's like, just send a small army. Like, God said he's going to give us everything anyway. So, like, don't make all the people work. And so that's what they decide. And if we go pick up back in verse 5, And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men. For they chased them from before the gate, even into Shabaram, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us around, and cut off our name from the earth, and what will thou do unto thy great name? Now this sounds a bit kind of like the complaint we've gotten used to with the children of Israel, but this is, you have to understand that Joshua's coming from a place that, like God told him, it's like, I'm giving you the land. Just go and take it. So now Joshua's a little confused. It's like, God, what happened? It's like, this little city just, you know, kicked our butts out of town. It's like, what in the world? And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. <clears throat> so, at this point, God tells Joshua, all right, this is how I'm going to show you how to deal with this problem. And <clears throat> if we pick up again in verse 14, In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and by the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So, the next morning, Joshua gets up, he gathers the whole nation of Israel, and one by one, God sorts through the children the tribes. So it starts with Judah, 
Then it goes from one father to one patriarch to the next and down the line until finally they come to Achan. And again, if you could pick up in verse 19, and Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and thus and thus have I done. And when I saw the spoils, a goodly Babylonish garment, and 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold, of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them, and I took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him, took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned them with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Now, as a kid, that was one of the tougher Bible stories to read because it just seems so unfair. But I think it is a lesson in how our sin affects those around us. Um, So the title of my sermon today is that you can never bury your, you can't bury your sin. It's kind of a working title, but basically, you can never bury it deep enough. It doesn't matter how much you dig, it's never deep enough. God will still find it. So, first thing is be sure your sin will find you out. What is done in the dark will be brought to light. But even what is, when that sin is committed, in the dark, what we think is the dark, it is still committed in God's holy light. God's light shines on everything. All right, even if it's dark to our eyes, he still sees all. I think uh, the n- next important lesson that struck me was that God gave multiple opportunities to confess. If you go through that passage, they go through each, there's like at least like four or five different patriarchs. It starts with the tribe. It narrows down. And then it goes basically like his great-grandfather, his grandfather, his father. But he sits tight-lipped the entire time. He doesn't budge. He doesn't move. Maybe things would have turned out different if he would have just confessed on the spot. I think a lot of, uh, I don't have any kids, but I have a niece and nephew, or I teach some kids. And so I'm sure some of you parents realize it's like, if you would have told me before, before I had to dig down to get to the truth, things would have been a lot better for you, (laughs) right? But at certain points, it's like, no, I'm, you know, he means to be gotten fed up with your lie. And because you just try to hold on to it, now things are worse. The consequences are more severe. So Achan had an opportunity to confess with each family member that I went through. <clears throat> um, I think a good comparison would be Peter. Peter's denial of Christ. Turn to Mark 14. And if you remember the last time I preached, I tend to use a lot of references. I hope you don't mind. So Mark chapter 14, verse 66. Mark chapter 14, verse 66. 
And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. Jesus, or Peter, could have remembered right there. God told him beforehand. Now, Jesus prophesied what Peter was going to do, so that it was set in stone already. But it just goes to show, it's like God knows everything that's going to happen, but he still gives us opportunity. But sometimes it seems like he just gives us the opportunity to like reinforce that lesson he's trying to teach us. <clears throat> and the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after that, they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. How many times could we save ourselves from tears? How many times do we keep crossing that line, crossing that line, and so finally break down in tears and you just can't help but weep? Because it's like, I know... I knew all along what I was supposed to do, but I did it anyway. How many times do we put ourselves through that? All right? I remember um, singing, uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Yes. And I think I shared this with you guys. And it was like later that week, my car broke down. And I was on the phone with my buddy Anthony. And he was talking about how things were tough. And I was telling him, you know, like, you know, try to be faithful. You know, God's going to take care of you. And my car breaks down right then and there. It was, uh, yeah, not, it was just a like, great live you know, demonstration right then and there. But I didn't really appreciate that <laughs> in the moment. And I remember for a second, I got super angry. I was like, you're kidding me. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting at the gas station. And this is a new, fairly new car. I'm used to having like my old, some of you guys might remember my old uh, Toyota Corolla I got from my dad. That thing was like, I had over 300,000 miles, lasted forever. All right. Didn't take as good a care as I should have. But I'm thinking, it's a new car. It should be like indestructible for at least, you know, five years or something. <clears throat> but, yeah, it's just, and is, uh, Pastor talked about uh, Jesus' temptation, you know, today. And that's definitely something that I was going to address as well. But there's just, when we really think about it, there's so many opportunities, so many chances, so many little things here and there. Just take that right step. And a lot of times, like, we know what this right step is, but we just don't do it. Your sin affects others, seen and unseen, expected and unexpected. I'm not sure if Aiken expected his whole family would have to pay for his sin. I don't think any of us ever do. How many examples could, in this room, could we think of in our lives that affected those around us? And I never would have thought it would come to that. And if I would have known, I would take, do anything to take that back. Yeah. All the hurt, I'll take it. When it, you see a loved one with tears in their eyes, with pain in their heart, there's nothing, there are few things worse in this world. And hopefully you kids in here don't have to experience much of that. Yes. And that's why you got to listen to your parents. <laughs> So, how does our sin affect those around us? Are we sabotaging our testimony 
And by, through that, God's work, when we mindlessly succumb to temptation, how are we affecting God's ministry? And collectively, the church, how are we affecting God's ministry? Every time we stumble, mindlessly, not even just like, oh man, I made a mistake. No, just mindlessly, just, you know, stupid mistakes. Or not even mistakes, just stupid choices. Think about that impact. Uh, turn to um, Hosea, just a quick <clears throat> look at some of the verses. There's a, a lot to this story. I'm sure many of you know the story of Hosea. Hosea chapter 2, verse um, 19 and 20. So if you read the chapter, a lot of it, Jesus, God is talking about how Israel is constantly leaving constantly going to the world. And he has a prophet Hosea, married a woman named Gomer, and she's a harlot, for lack of a better word. I have some young ears in here. And I think that's one thing, as an adult, you start to realize how low that really is. And that the comparison, I think, is still us to, for us to this day. And I've heard it spoken in, in stronger terms. It's like, how many times do the children of God whore themselves out to the world? And that is very strong language, I feel, but it's, it's real. Every time you engage in sin more and more and more, what are you doing? You're whoring yourselves out to the world. You're whoring, the temple of God. Your body is a temple of God. And what are you doing with it? You're smearing the walls in filth. And that's myself as well. So in verse 19, in spite of all this, God says, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. In verse 23, And I will sow her into me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. I think it's important also that we recognize it's like, it doesn't matter. Everyone in this room could abandon God. God will have more servants ready to serve him. Yes. We always think of uh, Elijah. Always mess up, uh, Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah, that is one of the most frustrating examples. Just a little sidebar. After having that, the victory on, I forget the mountain, was it Hebron? Uh, Carmel. Carmel. Yeah. Against the prophets of Baal. He called, basically calls down fire from God does it. They just kill all the prophets of Baal, these wicked men. But then after that, he gets a letter from the evil queen, and then it's like he basically loses it. That is so frustrating, but it's so relatable. <laughs> How many times, I mean, we can have this conference coming up. Things would be so great. And then a week later, it's just like, uh, you know, you just stumble to the weakest little thing. It's like, someone was not, wasn't nice to me. You know, I, how often and how easily does that happen? Right. You could be on the mountaintop and just slide right into that valley. And it's just, God will keep you on the mountaintop, but we just, sometimes we just, we think the mud looks more comfortable. Wow. <clears throat> so, with this, with this defeat that Israel suffered at the hands of uh, the little town of Ai, Joshua said that it would embolden Israel's enemies. And 
it's interesting to contrast it with Rahab's report. So just before that, before they took uh, Jericho, Rahab was saying, it's like, oh, we've heard the stories about, you know, the plagues in Egypt and how, you know, the Red Sea was parted and how God has given the Israelites all these victories leading up to the promised land, Canaan. The Canaanites were shaking in their boots. But because of one man's sin, now Joshua's saying, like, no, we got to worry about, you know, all these Canaanites saying, it's like, oh, maybe the God's not that great after all. Maybe we should just team up. You know, they might be a little strong, but like, let's team up. And you read further into the book. There are a multi- uh, number of kings that do team up to tr- go against the children of Israel because of one man's sin. So, our testimony, again, it's, it's all you have, right? So, uh, I believe in Proverbs, it says, a good name is right to be chosen than great riches. You can kind of compare your testimony to your brand. And I heard it put this way. Your brand is not just what you make. It's how you make people feel while they watch what you make. So, and I think a good scripture to turn to for that would be 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13. Starting in verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is that easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Our testimony is nothing without love, love from God. We could, in church, we could be, you know, up here, preaching. But if I don't show any love for anybody in the church or in my community, what is that worth? I'm just this sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. So our testimony, individually and collectively, is built on our faithfulness to God and the love that we reflect onto the world around us. It is important that we do not hinder or stand in the way of God's will. Be hot or cold. In Revelations <clears throat> chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and because neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. <clears throat> Don't get in the way of God's will. God's will, I think you look one way out. Just kind of think of it is uh, it's like a train. You can get on the train or stay off. You can't grab onto the train and grab on the platform at the same time. I don't care who you are, you can't keep them there. You have to choose. <clears throat> I put here on the notes personal testimony. Um, uh, with my job, I get to meet a lot of people that don't really care much for church. 
but it is interesting to see the amount of people that have exposure to church. And they have varying opinions on it. So I'm always reminded of the importance of my testimony. And it is interesting at times that different things that will come up. And there was one, and I have to admit, I was embarrassed at first. But because of my faith, I should not be embarrassed. And that was the issue of purity. And it was kind of funny how it came up. It was kind of random. You guys are just like goofing around. And he said, like, wait, really? And I was like, yeah. It's like, I decided, it's like, if I'm going to really believe what God has to say, what's in his word, then I got to do it all. And there's definitely times I don't want to do it all. But it's like, I've gone, come this far. It's like, I can't, I can't let it go now. But again, I have to say, I was a little embarrassed at first. But I was glad that I didn't try to brush it off. You know, it would be easy to make a joke about it or, you know, just like try to change the subject. But no, God said, this is how things should be. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I was a little surprised by how respectful and well it was taken. And I think it's important to realize that yes, the world at large doesn't like Christianity, but there are people that are looking for something. There are people that have heard of Christians. They've seen testimonies here and there, good and bad. And they're they're constantly forming that opinion. And you have a chance to form a bit of that opinion, at least a little bit. And hopefully we'll make the right choice. Um, I appreciated Pastor a couple weeks ago talking about how he felt he was going through the motions. And that's definitely very helpful because, you know, growing up in church, you tend to put the pastor on a pedestal sometimes. And it's, it's always funny how pastor kind of like, you know, tries to kick that pedestal out from under him. It's like, <laughs> you know, and you ca- I think you kind of tell sometimes, but pastor kind of has, let me know if, you, if you've seen this too. He kind of just like, <laughs> like that, where it feels like, He's laughing partly at me and partly at the situation as well. And it's like, he's like, I'm like, I'm laughing at something I'm not going to tell you, but, <laughs> or maybe he just says that with me. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, pastor always reminds us that he's human too. Um, and also with, with this topic, I've dealt also just like at times shame and guilt. It's like, how can I preach about this? How can I preach at all? It's like, how, how dare I even consider it? But then, you know, I've shared with other people at times, like, you know, you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Some of those people are just a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, a lot, of all people, I've, I, I know I've brought this up before, but a lot is in the hall of faith. It's just chapters 11, and the Bible addresses him as a faithful man of God. I mean, if he, if he was all right, then... I can't be too bad. All right. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's not exactly the way you should look at it, but I think it's important. The Bible's also letting us know at times, it's like, don't fall into despair. Yes. Yes. It's like, you're never going to measure up, but God still loves you. In Hosea, he said, it's like, still, this, the bride is still running away to the world. But he still takes her back. And that is a very beautiful thing. 
Now, we do want to look at some good testimonies in the Bible. Please turn to Daniel chapter 5, verses 10. We're going to do 10, 11, and 12. Daniel chapter 5, 10, 11, and 12. Yes, it's only three verses, but they're actually pretty long verses. All right, Daniel 5, 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words, so this is right after um, Belshazzar saw the writing on the wall. All right, so this is, near the, this is basically the end of the Babylonian Empire. This is after Nebuchadnezzar and everything he went through. So Daniel has already at this time had many years where he's been an advisor to the king, a wise man. So now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father light, and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father, hath made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit, and knowledge, and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts, were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So, this king was having a party, and was using the uh, gold... Uh, instruments, I guess you could say, like cups and plates and things like that from the temple of God, showing just showing a little extra disrespect to God and to these conquered peoples. And that was sort of uh, portrayed as like the last straw. And that's what finally brought the Persians to their gates and their empire was done in that night. But more importantly, and for our discussion today, is that in spite of all this time, I'm sure Daniel was probably kind of put to the side, but because of his testimony, that lasting mark that he left, at least one person remembered, there's this guy, Daniel. No one can figure out what this writing on the wall is. There's one guy. He believes in God. And he has the wisdom of God. In people's lives, when they come to that time when there's that writing on the wall and the walls are closing in on them, well, they remember there was one guy, he had the wisdom of God. There's one guy, he might be able to help me out of my problem. He might be able to point me in the right direction. Well, they remember you. Will they think of you? Let's all pray that they do. Daniel maintained an impeccable testimony throughout his life. And that's just a goal we should all strive for. Now for our last testimony, we should, of course, look to Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. We're not going to read it all. But Jesus gives us an example of how we are to deal with temptation. And that is through Scripture. So if you look in verse 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then the devil just goes to the next thing. Because why is he going to argue with that? Right? In verse 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I think it's important that we remember that we have God's authority dwelling in us. Yeah. The devil comes to tempt you. Hey, don't tempt the Lord. All right? 
Don't tempt my boss. Don't tempt my God. It's like, you got to get through him to get to me. Now, unfortunately, you know, we're weak, so that doesn't always work. But that is the attitude we need to have. And then finally, in verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So with every temptation the devil tried to bring to Jesus, he was constantly met with a verse, with scripture, with God's word. And if we really believe that scripture is God speaking to us, then it's just like giving God's words back to Satan. And also just to ourselves, really. Because a lot of times it's like we like to blame the devil, but really it's just my own flesh, my own selfishness, my own weakness. Uh, in James 4, you don't have to turn there, but in verse, James 4, verses 7 through 9, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. A lot of times we fall to temptation. It's like I was speaking how we can get to that mountain, that mountaintop, right? And that's when the pride starts to kick in. Starts to, or just any mountaintop in life, really. Is that pride. It's like, no, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he'll keep you up there. If I feel like, oh, I'm doing good. You know, yeah. things are going swimmingly. Right? But if I leave it to myself, I'm going to start sinking. And that's the inevitable truth. Uh, another reference is uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are, accompanied, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us, Unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. With the job I have now, I, one thing I do kind of miss from Sam's is that I had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to uh, meditate. And I never really thought about that, but Pastor kind of broke that down one day, and I really, I really appreciated that time. And I don't really have time for that now because I'm trying to learn everything. I'm driving. I can't, you know, start daydreaming while I'm, you know, on Highway 80 going at 65, you know, highway speed limit, speed limit. But I do feel like it helps at least in a little way prepare me for the position I'm in now. Um, God has a timing for everything. Beware of temptation. You know it's coming. You know it's around the corner. I'm sure you're dealing with it right now. I'm sure there's, not every temptation is just a little you know, thing here and there. Sometimes it's a lingering thing. Something you've been side-eyeing that you shouldn't be looking at. Something you've been thinking about. Maybe it's just the temptation to make a decision without going to God first. And it's not necessarily like a sinful thing, but it's just making that decision. It's like, how am I going to stand on that mountaintop? Or how am I going to get up to that mountaintop? It's like, I'll just kind of figure it out on my own. Ask God to help you make that decision. Again, think about how your, tempta- your 
testimony is seen by others. If anything, that is the main, I hope that is the main takeaway tonight. And I just come back to that point. How is my testimony affecting the work of God? In my life, in the lives of those around me, old, young, especially the young kids around here, that's something I have to be very mindful of. Especially as these kids are going back to school, when they come home, what's the testimony that they see at home? Because that is the strength, that is the bulwark they're going to need to maintain the course that you want them to be on. That's very important. And when they come to church, that should just be an extra little boost. You know, we don't want it to be moldy bread, like Pastor was saying. They need that sustenance every day at home. (laughs) Too often, rather than give up our sin, we would rather bury it. And when discovery is near, when we know that knock is coming for us, when we're aching in that line of the different family heads, and he's coming down, and he's narrowing it down, and I know what I've done. We think I could just, if I just buried it a little deeper under my tent, if I just dug a little more, a little longer, then surely nothing will come of it then. No one's going to find it then. When discovery is near, we think we can just bury it deeper, only to inevitably learn that it is never deep enough. Please uh, bow your heads. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the wisdom and the comfort that you give us in your word, Lord, the warnings and the promises. Lord, I just pray that you will just keep our hearts open to you, Lord, that you will constantly remind us of your promises, of your strength, of your mercies. You're constantly handing to us, Lord, reaching out to us. I pray that you will Continue to watch over myself, as long as everyone else here, Lord. Um, I thank you for everyone that can make it tonight. Thank you for this opportunity. I pray that um, I pray that it was a blessing to someone, Lord. And just, uh, again, be with us this week. Strengthen us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.